Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ficini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker is here. We are going to talk about the Russell Westbrook trade. We're going to talk about uh, additionally some Summer League stuff. And within that, we'll probably talk about the draft a little bit because you and I never really did like a post-draft wrap-up podcast, did we, Cole? I don't believe we did this year. No, uh, I think we were all pretty inundated by that point and everybody just kind of wanted to move on to free agency. (laughs) Right. Like it was just so crazy that free agency got ramped up so quickly that uh, it just like didn't really work timing wise. But within this summer league discussion, we'll talk about some stuff that we saw on draft night that intrigued us because I think that's probably the best way to handle it. Right. Yeah, definitely. It sounds good. So uh, we're sponsored today by Bet Online. We'll get to them a little bit later on. Uh but first, Cole, how are things going, man? Is, is everything kind of slowed down now that free agency is done? Now that summer league is over, are you excited to you know maybe get maybe get a couple of days here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I wrapped up all the summer league tape at about one thirty in the morning uh, last night, so I'm done with all of that. I'm going to move on to FIBA eventually, and ideally maybe get to some AAU tape. We'll see how it goes, but definitely weird not to have such a demanding. Um, state of basketball because summer league can be a little overwhelming if you want to get to all the teams and all the players yeah FIBA and AAU tape is next for me as well um obviously I'm also getting married in five weeks so uh that will (laughs) throw a loop into my work schedule a very positive loop but will throw a loop into my work schedule um in regard to what the podcast will look like then we'll kind of discuss it later on because I'm going on vacation for like three weeks between the wedding week and then uh, honeymoon after. So we'll talk about that at a later date. But let's start with the Russell Westbrook Chris Paul trade. So you see this go down. It happened on Monday, if I remember correctly, right? Maybe maybe Sunday, Monday. What was it? July July 11th, whatever the hell that was. <laughs> oh, so that, that was like six days ago. So my brain, it, it all meshes together at this stage, right? Um, so... Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul and two first round picks. When you see this trade go down, I think it was the most interesting trade of the summer. What was your immediate reaction? I mean, by at that point, all of the surprise had been beaten out of me basically by this offseason. So it was like, sure, why not? Let's get another blockbuster deal. Um, but on, on its face, it was just it's a very unique trade Two contracts that are viewed as albatross contracts. You have differing opinions about, I mean, who is the better value play between Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook? But I think in a 30,000 foot view, everybody wants to know how Russell Westbrook's going to pair with James Harden. I just found that dynamic really interesting because you have the reports about, you know, potentially Harden and Paul having that fallout. We don't know if this was a trade that was directed by Harden as far as what he wanted. That's a, a popular, I guess, rumor or st- stance there. But uh, I guess overall, it was just, you know, you really have trades like this when they have such an impact on the Western Conference. I thought that Houston had a lot of continuity with Chris Paul. Maybe they traded for Iguodala. Maybe they have a chance to win the West and then they kind of overhaul. It's just a, a very unique trade. Yeah, unique is the right way to put it. Uh, It was very... When I saw it, my immediate reaction was, oh shit, this is a trade that you make if you're Daryl Morey when you know you're not going to be there in six years. Because you're trading away all of this future value uh, for a guy in Russell Westbrook that I think he's better than Chris Paul right now, but I don't know if the fit is quite as strong as Chris Paul closing with James Harden. 
Mike D'Antoni is really good at staggering lineups. We saw that over the course of the two years that Chris Paul played in Houston. Uh, but at the end of the day, you got to be able to close games with both of those guys on the floor. And I do think that it's going to be an interesting dynamic figuring out how that works in conjunction with one another. Because everyone points to this idea that, oh, these two played together. This is what Russell Westbrook wanted. These two guys are very different than when they played together last time. Like, James Harden is so much better than what he was when he played with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, He has morphed into, if not the best offensive weapon in the NBA, maybe the second best offensive weapon in the NBA. Like, I'll at least listen to an argument for Stephen Curry. I'll listen to an argument for LeBron James, I guess. Um, But James Harden is just something unlike what we have seen in the NBA at this stage, uh, in the entire NBA's history, realistically. And he is a ball-dominant guy now, whereas with Oklahoma City, he played a little bit more off the ball. With Russ, Russ is also a ball-dominant guy. These are the guys in the league that have the two highest usage rates in all of basketball. So when I look at these two, it's just a very different way of going about building a roster. I guess like the idea might be Russ plays point guard in transition and grabs and goes. And then James is the guy in the half court. But if James is the guy in the half court, then Russ is just not as good as an off ball player as Chris Paul. Like Russ gets super floaty off the ball. And he's obviously not a spacing threat, uh, given that he's arguably the worst high volume three point shooter in NBA history. So it's a weird fit. What is kind of your reaction to the fit? Well, that's the obvious point is how are those two going to coexist? Because both of them, like you said, are high usage. They're used to dominating the ball. They demand the usage on the ball. And I think some of that's a little bit surface level as far as, okay, you're going to change possessions. You're going to like one possession is going to be hardened. Then Westbrook, I don't know exactly how it's going to work. It's obviously not a clear fit in the half court offensively because neither guy is really good off the ball. Like Harden can shoot, but he doesn't cut. He's, he kind of just floats when he's off the ball. He's just used to playing a specific style. So I'm very curious to see how that plays out. And I, I get it from Houston's standpoint from one element. And that's just that, you know, you're, you're betting on Russell maintaining health and Chris Paul being out of the lineup. One injury could really offset you and you're betting on Russell to maintain a little bit longer, maybe in the next two years or so. Right. I mean, Chris but has been I, a soft no tissue injury magnet for a little while now. Yes. So I think that's part of the strategy. And, and, and Russell is kind of a floor raiser, almost. It's like you know what you're getting from him. You know he's going to be pretty durable in his attacking style. Uh, he has the physical frame to absorb that kind of punishment. And, you know, Chris Paul in the playoffs last year, I thought he was a little bit underrated at times as far as his shot making is still really good when he can play that oh, way. Yeah. He's like he's incredibly good off the catch. He can, you know, play pick and roll. But, you know, with the style that Houston likes to play, it's a lot of isolation based. And we saw it at times against the Warriors, for example, Chris Paul couldn't create separation. And that's what they want with Russell is somebody who can get downhill, blow past guys and get to the rim. Like Chris Paul doesn't put pressure on the rim anymore. So you're kind of sacrificing. Paul's decision making his shot making and his defense for Russell's ability to really push downhill get in transition maybe get some easier baskets and and maybe the durability factor well here's a question I have for you so over the last couple of I would say maybe the last year and a half uh, Houston has played really slowly Uh, last year for the entire season they were 26th in terms of pace of play which is very un-Dantonian right 
I wonder if they really try and push the pace this year. I wonder if like they just get way up tempo, get into overdrive, let Russell Westbrook lead the break a ton, try and just be this dominant offensive team and just let the defense fall where it falls. Yeah, I think that's a great point. They're definitely going to mix it up. I, I don't think it's going to be the same kind of style that we've seen slow down you know, isolation ball with Harden in the half court trying to limit turnovers because that's what they're trying to do with all this isolation. They don't pass a lot, so there's less percent chance that you have a live ball turnover and flip it the other way. But I do think there's going to be a, a more emphasis on at least situational transition. Now you can siphon off a couple baskets here and there with Russell really pushing the ball down the other team's throat. I think that's definitely a dynamic at play here. So... It's just a, for me right now, it's a little bit more interesting, interesting from Houston's, Houston's perspective. So I want to focus on them uh, really quickly uh, again here. Their defense is something that, so they lose Jeff Bizdelic before last season. Bizdelic had led them to a really, really strong, switchable, uh, great defensive scheme the year prior. Their defense looks awful without Bizdelic in the first half of last year. They bring Bizdelic back. He, I don't know if he fixed the defense or if they got more comfortable playing with another one another or they realized, shit, we're 500, 30 games into the season, 40 games into the season. We need to figure shit out and just let it really focus in. Right. But I don't think it's a coincidence entirely that Bizdelic uh, has been a part of uh, the high level Houston defense when they've been good each of the last two years. He's no longer there. Uh, they decide to let him go for whatever reason that is just befuddling and baffling to me uh, he's not going to be on the coach's bench this year and like you said they're downgrading from Chris Paul to Russell Westbrook defensively I don't know what this defense looks like next year uh, they've been bad whenever uh, Bizdelic wasn't there and I think that that is a real concern for me uh, I like the risk of like moving your chips in but this is a team to me that screams like they need to go into the luxury tax heavily and do a sign and trade for Andre Iguodala involving Amon Shumpert and like another pick like I, I think they almost have to do that now yeah I thought they should have done it already frankly it's the most obvious trade on the table for them and for the Clippers we can get to that you know maybe at some point on the podcast but I do think there's one dynamic at play here that might mitigate a little bit of the defensive disasters because both Harden and Westbrook are bad as off-ball defenders. They are very lapsy. You know, Westbrook takes possessions off. Uh, Harden gets back cut a lot. And you don't really have the Warriors threat right now as far as Clay running off screen Steph. I think that is actually what's going to hurt them the most is the off-ball movement and, like, the teams that can really pass and, and pick on these guys in that setting. I think they still have decent individual defenders with Eric Gordon, who's really underrated there. Gabe Donovan Mitchell, a ton of problems. Maybe he can guard Paul George and you have P.J. Tucker on... You know Kawhi or something so they still have some decent individual defense I'm more concerned about the overall defensive construct in a team sense I like the idea of pushing your chips into the table I like the idea of making a move whenever you are uh, as close as you were because look I'll be honest, I think Houston was probably the closest to Golden State this year in the playoffs in the Western Conference. Obviously, Toronto ends up beating Golden State after the just barrage of injuries. But I think you make a case that Houston was realistically just very close to Toronto in general uh, in regard to just quality of play on the floor, uh, especially over the course of the back half of the season in the playoffs. 
I don't think this team was that far off. I think that with losing the Warriors and Toronto being, uh, you know, totally dismantled now after losing Kawhi Leonard and uh, the Kawhi and Paul George injury questions and the Lakers not necessarily pulling off a lot of uh, moves around Anthony Davis and LeBron James. The West in the East and the title is there for the taking. Like you can go out and win a title right now. I think Houston should be going out and trying to win a title right now. I just am skeptical if this was the right way to push your chips in. So it's really, it's about luxury tax. And that's a concern. We've seen that. I think Shams reported that two days ago, or it was a follow-up. Somebody else reported that, that basically the Houston was like, can we really take on all of this luxury tax, which would be like $20 million for Iguodala. And I think they absolutely should. And I think, honestly, you can make an argument that keeping Paul and trading for Iguodala might have made them better off um, as far as competing at the highest levels of play just because of Paul shooting Iguodala's defense. And I I think you have a lot of decision-making on the floor. The question for me is, could they have gotten to that point? Does Chris Paul have enough juice left to preserve James Harden for that playoff run? With Westbrook, you know that you can get him there probably better, but does Westbrook compete against the elite teams at the same level as Chris Paul, for example? That's such a hard question. Just, I think that (laughs) in a vacuum, yes, he does. But in this specific roster construct, I don't know if he does. Because at the end of every playoff game that is tight, you're going to have to play half-court basketball. And while Russ, for me, is still one of the five best transition players in the NBA, like, no question about that, I just don't know if the half-court fit works um, with James Harden, given what we've seen of those two guys and the way that their games have developed over the course of the last, what is it, five or six years? Yeah. So let's talk about Oklahoma City real quick. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, really quick, can I, say, I just want to say one point on Iguodala overall, because I know we're probably not going to get to this on this podcast, but if the Clippers trade for him, they pretty much just take the West, in my opinion. Like, what are you doing against that team when they have those kind of perimeter defenders? And they can do it, and they can finagle it, including Mo Harkless, if they want to. They can still trade their 2020 first-round pick. I don't know if they need to do that, but they have a lot of second-rounders, and really Dallas is the only opposition right now if Houston's not going to pay the tax. So if if the Clippers really want to put the clamps on the rest of the league, like that's a winning move for me. So what you're saying, it probably have to be Harkless and something else to make the salaries match. What yep. is just something else? Um, trying to think off the top of my I mean, head. They can, even, they can even sign and trade Jonathan Motley. They can do the same thing like a Caruso deal and give the second, third years non guaranteed just to match the salary for Memphis and Memphis would just waive him, for example. So I think they have Detroit second round picks. Um, in 2021 and 23, I believe. So there's a lot of different ways they could get there. This is the report is they don't want to deal Harkless, so they maybe be looking to wait until December 15th so they can aggregate some other salaries. But I think that runs the risk of like a team like Dallas just being like, okay, we can trade Courtney Lee for him straight up. Maybe we include you know a few seconds. And if that there's an opportunity cost here, in my opinion. How about the Grizzlies going out and signing Marco Guterich to a two-year guaranteed deal? <laughs> that is. It's fantastic. I love everything about that. Um, I was a big Guterich guy whenever he was in the draft. I thought he was pretty interesting. He's a shot maker. Um, And he's like a spacer, which is exactly what they need. Um, Let's talk about Oklahoma City real quick. Uh, Oklahoma City gets two first-round picks from this deal. Uh, They now have, what is it? They got five from the Clippers. They have all of their first round picks. It's something like they have like, they got the first round pick as well for Jeremy Grant. So they have eight additional first round picks over the course of the next like five years, uh, let alone their own picks. Uh, Just a ridiculous 
like level of asset cash that Sam Presti has built now. And by the way, the team is like not a disaster. Like they're probably not going to compete in the West just because for the playoffs, just because the West is insanely loaded. Like San Antonio is on the cusp in the West right now. Like you've got Denver, Portland, Utah, uh, Minnesota is realistically going to try and make the playoffs, but let's say you've got three of those teams in Denver, Portland, Utah, that are definitely in the playoffs. I think golden state is definitely a playoff team. The Clippers are definitely a playoff team. The Lakers are definitely a playoff team. Um, like that's six there. And then you've got Houston, San Antonio and Dallas, who is also going to be realistically in the playoff push once they get Kristaps back um, to start this season. So that's like nine there alone. Plus you get Oklahoma City, Minnesota and New Orleans who are all pushing for the playoffs as well. So like that's 12 teams for eight spots. I I would say Oklahoma City is probably at the bottom of those 12 teams. But Shea is really good. Um, He's a starter in the NBA right now, I think. Steven Adams obviously is a top 12, top 14 center in the league. Um, You know, you look at just the other interesting pieces like Danilo Gallinari and Terrence Ferguson. Like you can make a case that this team could realistically like decide, Hey, we want to make the playoffs this year and like move some of these first round picks for assets. But what do you think they're, like next track is because do they try and be like relatively competitive uh, next season and end up at like number eight in the draft and then take number 20, you know, number 22, 23 from Denver and whatever the pick is from uh, who do they have another 2020 pick coming from the Clippers deal? I don't know that they do actually. Right. No, not from the Clippers. Yeah. So you end up with two first round picks next year and like you try and just make it work. Like, I don't, they just have so many possibilities that I don't know how how this works. Yeah. And I think that's actually like precisely my response too, is they can go different directions here. I think this team is actually low key, pretty good. Like if you look at them on paper, Chris Paul initiating your offense, having that decision-making with Shea Alexander, two kind of ball handling playmakers. You have not going to lie to you. I forgot for a split second that they have Chris Paul. (laughs) It it really, it helps. I think he's still really good. So, I mean, he's going to really help Steven Adams and pick and roll. Paul is a better pick and roll passer than Westbrook, in my opinion. And he has more shot creation gravity. So it's a different floor spacing dynamic and how teams are going to defend them. You have Andre Roberson potentially coming back and being that kind of wing stopper player. They don't have great spacing with him and Shea on the wings and and Adams there, but they have pretty decent spacing. I mean, I think that Gallinari really helps. Gallinari was really good last year. I I don't think he gets enough credit for the player that he is now. It just comes down to health. Can he stay healthy? But you're right. I mean, Sam Preston could turn around and deal Chris Paul to the heat. You don't know what kind of position and what kind of route. They're in kind of a fork in the road. They have a lot of capital. They're invested in teams that are good right now via the Clippers and the Rockets. So you don't really know if those picks are going to be premier, but they're so far down the road. Maybe they obviously they think there's a chance that they could have that return. So they don't have to tank short term. So it's going to come down to what Presti wants. I mean, if he gets a decent trade from the heat, maybe he moves Chris Paul. If not, I think they can compete for a playoff spot. I I do think this team's a little bit underrated, even though I'm not crazy about the depth. Yeah. I mean, Chris Paul, Gallinari, Adams, and Shea, that team like actually kind of on the borderline of the playoffs in the West. Like you'd probably rather have, you'd probably rather have that roster than San Antonio's, right? Uh, Maybe not. No, San Antonio's the young guards that I think are all going to take a leap. So no, you probably don't want them over San Antonio. 
Um, you can make case over Dallas though next year, probably like pretty easily, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're in that tier. That's the the takeaway for me is they're in that formidable tier of, of teams that could potentially make the playoffs. I mean, they're not in like the top six or maybe the top seven, but they are in that class that is vying for maybe the eighth spot. And I think they could easily get that if health cooperates. Yeah. And like Chris Paul is a hamstring injury away from missing 25 games just perpetually. So that makes it a little bit more complicated i think um i don't know do you have anything else on this deal like any other interesting things you want to talk about i have one question for you just as far as a value as a value play and who is the better i guess quote unquote asset do you agree with the logic that russell westbrook is worth two first round picks and two pick swaps plus westbrook has an extra year on his contract do you think that he's worth that much more than chris paul in in a straight up in a straight up trade i forgot they got the two pick swaps in there too um so let's say chris paul chris paul's contract is what three three like 120 three 125 something like that looks right in the last year of course is a player option so he's 2019 through 2020 two years guaranteed and then 44.2 million player option in 2021 okay so you're talking three years so i'm gonna pull up the actual numbers three years 124 basically um and russ is four 177 if i remember correctly right yes so he has the just has the extra year. That's also a player option tacked on at the end. I'm assuming that both those guys are going to pick up that player option. Um, you would think so. N- I definitely don't think that. I think that Houston overpaid. Uh, but like, what is like on an asset level? I think Houston overpaid, but they had to do something. Like you, you had to make a move to make a push. And I think Russ is certainly better than Chris Paul is right now. Um, in terms, so like I try and think of it in terms of dollar value. What level, how much money would you pay Chris Paul right now uh, in free agency on a one-year contract? Oof. I, I would pay him a lot, honestly. On a one-year contract, I would feel like it's like mid-20s like, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I would pay him a lot. if I had. If I, I, had I was going to say like 27, like 28, 30, something like that. So let's say he's, let's even say 30 and be conservative. Let's say he's 8 million underwater. Let's say that drops down to 25 next year, 50. Five million dollars that he's worth, and then finally we get to that last year. Let's say he's worth twenty million instead of forty-four million. Um, so he's a he's probably fifty million dollars uh, underwater on that deal, something like that. Like, do, do we think that's fair? Something like fifty million yeah. underwater. It's really hard to project this stuff. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that that works. No, it is. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say Russ is going to be worth in a vacuum thirty-eight five this year. Like, I think Russ is a max level player, right? I think that's fair. Again, it's tough to separate regular season from playoffs. Like, I think Russ raises your floor more in the regular season, the durability. But I think Chris Paul, like, if I'm taking either one of those guys in the playoffs, I might actually lean Chris Paul on the Rockets specifically. It's really convoluted, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, like, trying to, like, do this from, like, a fan Grafsian perspective of, like, what trade value yep. is, right? In terms of just, like, cash value, in terms of how underwater these deals are. So I'd say Russ is not under, let's say, conservatively like we were with chris paul russ is not underwater right now let's say that he is worth 30 let's say there's diminishing returns he's worth 34 in 2020 2021 um so that's seven uh let's say he's worth 29 in let's just reduce it by five million every year right so let's say he's worth 
29 in 2021, so that's 15, 22. Uh, and let's say he's worth um, 24, so that's 23 million. So I think they're pretty close in terms of asset values on contracts. Yeah, I think that the extra year for Chris Paul, not having Chris Paul for the extra year, is actually a huge bonus for yes. um, for Oklahoma City in this deal. I do think that I would have been willing to add a first round pick to Russ to make this deal happen. I don't think that the difference is two picks and two pick swaps or add a yeah, first round pick to Chris Paul. Kidding. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. I got what you're saying. And I think that's just what I was trying to get at is assessing this from like a 30,000 feet view. And I, I just disagreed with Russell being considered this much better as far as the the. And we, and of course, there was political dynamics. If the Harden Paul relationship was bad, that was it, bad as it was reported as. Like that was built into this a little bit of Harden really wanted this trade that gave you know Sam Presti leverage. But I, I just think in totality, like I think Chris Paul might age better than Russell Westbrook. I mean, we've seen that in the past with guys like Jason Kidd or John Stockton, the guys who can shoot and make decisions. Like Chris Paul can fall back on his shooting. Like if if Russell deteriorates more athletically. Like, he doesn't really have anything to fall back on. You know what I mean? In, like, the next, like, two or three years. He really needs that. If he loses a step, like, the John Walls and the Russell Westbrooks, those guys are, are downhill guys. And when that leaves you, if there's an injury or if you lose a step, I, I think that could be pretty devastating. So that's why I think Chris Paul might age a little bit better than Russ, even though next season you'd probably bet on Russ being more durable and getting you to the place that you need to get to. Whether he can get you over the top, that's a different question entirely. Well, here, here's what I would say. Uh, I think Chris is already aged better than Russ is going to, but the problem is that we're talking about Russ's age, what, what will it be, 31 at the start of next year? His age... 31 to 34 years versus Chris Paul's 34 to 36 years. Yeah. Right. So like the fact that one guy is three and a half years younger than the other guy, uh, I think that's probably more important than which one ages better just because like Chris has already gone through his aging better process. You know what I mean? Now I think that we're just kind of getting to the point where there are going to be athletic just diminishing athletic returns. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I should have phrased that better. I think even in, in Chris Paul's current age, he could age better than Russell will over the next three years. Like, I, I even if That's he's three and a half years older, I think that Paul, just because of his shooting, and maybe he's, of course, not worth the full value of his contract, right, relative to that. But I'm, I'm talking about relative to floor value. I would bet on even Chris Paul maybe being more valuable at age 35 than Russell is at age, you know, 32, for example. I think that's in the cards. And I, I don't know if it's being treated that way as far as how this is being covered or whatnot. Hmm. Do I agree with that? I don't know. <laughs> that's, it's really hard. Just, like, that's a really hard question, I think, to answer. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to what you think Chris was last year. Uh, and, like, does Chris ever play... 70 games in a season again right like that's and like can he ever yeah. go a season without missing 25 games due to like a hamstring injury or like a groin injury or something like that uh if we assume that at this stage chris can't play 70 games in a season like he hasn't played 70 games in a season since 2016 i think it's probably like i think that's probably pretty reasonable given the last three years that he's probably not going to play 70 games all that often um I think that Russ is probably the better bet, to be honest. Just because Russ seems... Russ, to this point of his career, has been largely indestructible. Yeah, 
100%. But I, I think, again, it's a different kind of player. Like, a, they're reliant on different skills. Like, Russell's reliant on that athleticism. If that even depreciates, right. his value depreciates significantly more than Chris Paul's because Paul has the shooting to fall back on. He has the decision-making, the better defense positionally. So I, it's, a, it's, it's a hard question. That's why I asked it, just because it, there's a lot of dynamics at play. I, I do agree with the mentality, though, that in the regular season, I think Russell, at least next year, and Houston's all in on winning, is probably the higher floor raiser just because he's more dependable to play games at that level. It's just like, does it really translate into the future? Tough question. Well, I do totally agree with you in terms of the games, but in like the way that their games will age. I, I guess that my thing and where I keep coming back to is like being available is just important. And like Chris Paul yes. hasn't been available enough at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. This is a weird deal. This is like, I was expecting us to talk about this for 20 minutes and we talked about it for like 40 or like 35 because it just has so many different weird angles throughout the deal. Um, let's talk about bet online though. So, uh, basketball season, we're about to get into full swing here coming up in September where you're going to be able to bet on preseason games. I was betting on summer league games, by the way, uh, cause I am a full on degenerate about betting on basketball. Um, it's actually not true. I bet on a couple of summer league games, but, uh, there's no way more exciting to bet on games than betonline.ag. Uh, Look, because you're loyal listeners of uh, the Game Theory Podcast and CLNS Media, we're going to give you an extra 50% added bonus onto your sports betting bankroll when you go to clnsmedia.com slash game theory and use CLNS 50. Uh, the best part is the bonus will be added into your balance within seconds. Again, support this podcast by going to clnsmedia.com slash game theory and use that code CLNS50. Look, there's a minimum deposit of at least $25. Uh, that's required to qualify for the bonus. You're going to receive a 50% bonus on your qualifying first deposit only. Um, and, and look, like the maximum bonus per deposit is $1,000. Uh, but just go up. Uh, Please see Bet Online's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses, uh, because this is a great deal, and I want you guys to be able to take advantage of it if you like gambling on basketball and sports in general as much as I do. You got enough baseball to bet on right now, so that's fun as well. Uh, just go to uh, go to what is it? Go to clnsmedia.com/gametheory and use that code uh, CLNS50. All right, Cole. We're, we're going to have some fun now, real quick, before we get into Summer League. Um, let's talk about some ridiculous, ridiculous uh, customer reviews that we got on um, <laughs> that we got on iTunes here. So, shout out to Edgar Beer. Uh, you have to have a functional IQ of 175 plus to understand this podcast. I was just listening to Cole saying that a guy had good ankles. Like what? He either has an insane ankle fetish or he can see and analyze body dynamics like no other. It's probable that it's the latter, but Cole is a normal guy, perhaps too normal. <laughs> Those are the ones with some freak in the beak. Oh man. Uh, Cole to set the record straight. Do you have an insane ankle <laughs> fetish? 
I guess I can't divulge that publicly. <laughs> no, um, that, that was one of the best reviews I've ever read. I, I check this every once every probably three or four months, and I saw that, and I was like, this is literally the best thing I've ever read. It was, it was just fucking incredible. No, that is an amazing, an amazing, amazing podcast, uh, podcast <laughs> review in every way. Um, I'm trying to think if there are if there are any other ones to read. Maybe we'll do one. Maybe we'll do one a podcast. So... And there'll only be new ones from this point forward. So if you want to have your review read on the podcast, leave us a <laughs> review on iTunes. Uh, please, please leave us reviews on iTunes. It really helps us move up in the ratings. And we'll read your review if it ends up coming even remotely close to that. Edgar has set the bar extraordinarily high in terms of podcast reviews. But please, if you review the podcast um, on iTunes and give us a hilarious review like that, we will read it on the show and we'll do one a week from this point forward. So uh, do that. Let's talk about summer league though, Cole. Uh, I was at summer league. You were not at summer league. You probably watched more summer league basketball than I did though, because when you're actually at summer league, it is incredibly difficult to watch basketball because you're out talking to people. People stop you in the hallway. You're networking. It's just like a ton of random occurrences that happen. So, I guess that on some level, like I've watched a lot. I've gone back and watched some tape. Like I've, I've done a decent amount of homework on summer league at this stage. But my question for you is going to be this. Who, let's start with who impressed you the most at summer league. And I have a feeling that uh, I know who you're going to say. <laughs> I'm actually going to mix it up. But I'm not going to say that person because, again, like that was kind of expected for me. We can get into that in a second. There's one guy that really impressed me the most. And that's Bruce Brown on Detroit. I thought yeah. that he was the best player there. I thought he was, if you, I don't know if anybody's really going to go back and actually watch the game. So, uh, <laughs> but if you can, I would watch the Blazers game where the Pistons played them and you would just see an absolute fucking passing clinic from Bruce Brown. Like, literally made every right decision, every right read. The guy averaged a triple double per 36 at Summer League. He was doing everything as far as initiating offense. We saw the feel, getting to the rim, playing good defense. It just comes down to the jump shot. And we don't know how this is like the, the bugaboo Summer League. It's, is he ever going to be able to play that role at the NBA? where he has no shooting gravity. But I just, in that setting, I was really, really impressed with him. Yeah, Bruce Brown has always been like a good pick and roll passer. I wrote about it whenever yep. I first wrote about him um, in uh, at The Athletic. I think I wrote about him at The Athletic. If I didn't, sorry, Bruce, I've always thought you were a good pick and roll passer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've always thought that he could do that. Like it, he makes really smart, intelligent good decisions uh, out of the pick and roll, which I think is the most important part of it. He limits turnovers as well. Um, I want to say his uh, assist turnover was like four to one at Summer League, right? It was really good. And you hit the nail on the head with the decisions. And that's where he just stood out to me more than a lot of other guys. Like you watch a second year guy like Aaron Holiday, who was very, very up and down as yeah. a playmaker for others. And Bruce Brown was just absolutely ruthless with his decision making. It was pinpoint. And those are the guys that really stand out the most. So the guys who make the right plays the right reads and do that consistently at summer league it's very rare to see that to the level that bruce brown was able to execute yeah like jerome robinson for me is another guy that stood out like that like jerome wasn't like from a statistical perspective what uh bruce was but every single time he was on the floor he's making the right read he would run a secondary pick and roll on the weak side of the floor and would make the right read right and then kick uh every time and it was just a snap decision every single time he had it right on the money every time that he had the ball in his hands and he would make the right decision when to shoot when to pass like 
guys like that who come into their second year and are able to do that, I think are the, like you said, the biggest thing worth watching at Summer League is the year one to year two jump. Yeah, definitely. I like to focus on the second year guys, especially the guys that didn't get a ton of playing time in their rookie season. So we don't, we know kind of what Shea can do and, and guys like that, obviously they didn't play in Summer League, but it's more the guys at the end of the bench, like the Gary Trents, the Aaron Holidays, how they've progressed year one to year two. I, I was impressed as well at times with Jerome Robinson. I thought that he showed that he's capable of making reads not in my opinion to the same level as Bruce Brown as far as execution but the flash plays were definitely there and I think he's he's just a talent man you can see why the Clippers really liked him I mean his shot is just absolutely aesthetic is all hell you mean you watch him shoot and you're like okay he would have just absolutely worked a workout but uh, the so consistency, simple. yes, it's really simple, really fluid. You can just see that translating in several different respects. It's just for me with Robinson, it was just a, a quick observation point. He would just fade out of games. Like there, I think yeah. we talked about this. On, we, he was really good in the first half, and then we didn't even see him. I mean, he played, but we didn't even hear from him in the second half. So I'm going to be really curious about his year two progression in the league. The Clippers might actually need him to play some minutes. A guy who a lot of people are down on. A lot of people don't like Robinson. They viewed that as a huge reach, which it, in fairness it was. In my opinion but I, I think there's more talent there than he gets credit for and he's not a low iq player in my opinion like he's shown enough to where there is some upside yeah he might sneaky need to actually play for them a little bit this year too especially like just because you're going to go through injuries at some point right that's always going to happen yeah but um he was like they might sneaky need him this year to play like maybe 10 minutes a night 15 minutes a night and that's interesting to me because uh, he does bring something offensively in terms of being able to run like a secondary pick and roll and knock down yep. shots off the dribble that they could use. Like realistically, that is a skill set that they could really, really value. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just very interested. I'm interested to see where it goes. And I'm going to I'm not right. A lot of people have written him off. I'm not super high on him, but I, I'm very curious to see what we what we see and not just flash plays. Can he do it consistently? Does the talent really show itself on the floor? Is the decision making there? I think he's going to get a chance this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, do we want to? Uh, I'm trying to think of like other second year guys. Uh, Josh Akogi stood out to me. I thought Akogi was like really, really good. I thought that Lonnie Walker was really good. Um, Anthony Simons was pretty good as well. Uh, who were some of those guys, the guards that really stood out to you? Yeah, second you year guys, named, we'll say. Yeah, you just named a majority of them. Honestly, I thought Akogi, we saw a little bit more playmaking, he initiated some sets. Uh, it comes down to the shooting, but the athleticism really, you know, it pops. He's a dynamic, dynamic athlete. We saw some of that on rim attacks. He's never been the best finisher, but you saw a little bit more feel in skill game. I think he's been working on his handle a little bit. We saw some nice yep. change of direction there. So that was interesting. Simons, he's just one of those guys who, in this setting, I kind of worry that people overrate guys like him and Lonnie Walker. Just because yep. they are like the only people at the tournament who can shoot off the dribble, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. they're shot makers. Like they, they get they get hot and they can have like a thirty five point game. Like both of them almost did. I think Lonnie Walker had like thirty one or whatever. But both those guys are dynamic. Uh, Lonnie Walker's athleticism is just it really really pops at this level. The one foot pop as far yep. as slashing around the rim. Like nobody else really has that that can is fluid enough to put the ball on the floor but both guys again are shot makers do they have the feel to initiate sets make decisions that's something that i didn't see from really either one of them they're more just guys who can score which is what they've always been so it's good to see that they can do that rather efficiently at summer league but i feel like those guys are the ones you have to kind of worry about a little bit just because that might not be the role at the next level you know what i mean it's not like you're worried about the play right because you're not like it's great that they played well. It's more worried about like 
translatability as much as anything. It's not that they played poorly or anything. It's just like, does this actually tell us anything? And I think that that's a question. Yes, like exactly. uh, with Lonnie, what I liked about Lonnie is that things tended to slow down. Like even at Miami, I thought that once he attacked a closeout, things moved a little bit too quickly for him and that was a skill that i really loved uh from him coming out of high school was just being able to attack closeouts and get to the basket and finish above the basket like you said the athletic pop it's all there um what i liked about him this time is that the footwork looked crisper it looked cleaner he looked uh just sharper in terms of the way that he operated whenever he got past the initial line of the defense. Um, he seemed to read where the defense was coming from at a higher level. He did make some interesting drive and kick passes. I didn't think a lot of them were high level, but they were an improvement, like you said, over what we had seen. So that was definitely promising. There was some other second year guys. I mean, the New York guys, everybody was fixated on Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox. Uh, I mean, I, I thought they were just two form. Honestly, I didn't notice a huge difference in either one of their games like Mitchell can, Robinson. Can we, let's, let's talk about some before we talk about the Knicks guys, because I actually want to do like a section on the Knicks guys, because I think they're very interesting in general. Um, So yeah, Simons just was like a ridiculous scorer at Summer League. But the big thing that stood out for me is that like he was a guy that was kind of like frenetic and like inconsistent in terms of his uh, approach, in terms of footwork, in terms of everything. Uh, Whenever I saw him in high school, obviously we didn't get a chance to see a lot of him uh, last year given that Portland doesn't have a G League team and given that uh, he spent most of the team, most of the season up with them. It was good to see that things have slowed down for him. Uh, I will say that generally, like, you know, he was sold as like a crazy athlete with like a crazy upside there. I think his footwork is great. I think that uh, he has the ability to get separation with like speed, but he's not like some ridiculous pop athlete. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's definitely not that guy. He's more like deceptive getting into his pull-up. He's very, very good at that transition. Like he can do the sidestep pull-up dribble, you know, pull-up three. And there's just not a lot of guards who can do that and actually do it consistently and efficiently. He has the pull-up game there. And he has some quickness, but he doesn't have that dynamic downhill athleticism. He's not someone who really attacked the rim that often in summer league. He was. You saw a lot of his offense was pick-and-roll pull-up, isolation pull-up. And he's that's the best part of his game. It's kind of like a little bit Darius Garland-esque as far as how he gets there. There's some differences with handle and just general deception. But I, I do think he his shot making and his ability to shoot in general, that one motion release, is that that's the most legit part of his game. Uh, I'm trying to think of other like second year guys. Um Zaire Smith. Zaire. Oh yeah, we should talk about Zaire. Zaire did basically everything I expected Zaire to do. Um he was athletic. He just made things happen with that athleticism on both ends of the floor. Uh, the skill level, like I still don't really see like a crazy amount of it, though. Do you? You see a little bit of an improvement. He looks a little bit more comfortable shooting off the dribble, um, just general shooting. But you look at the handling and traffic, and that's going to be the issue. The same issue with Matisse Thybul. Both of those guys struggled to create in tighter confines. Like mm-hmm. Zaire is fluid enough to get to his pull up, but I didn't see a lot of like one-on-one isolation, like dynamic 
playmaking in that respect. But the guy who really makes the right play, he's, he has incredible instincts on both sides of the floor. I'm not sure like if he's like a high-level processor as far as decision-making, but his natural instincts on the floor, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I, I think he's got like surreal instincts for his age. Like We saw it defensively. Like There was a play, back-to-back possessions, where he stole the skip pass, and he anticipated both times. And you just don't right. see that from his age. And I, I thought the offense, like the jump shot is really what it comes down to, right? I think it's a little bit flat sometimes. It's not as consistent as far as, you know, that trajectory of the arc. He pulls the ball back, kind of a two-motion release. He's got to work on that, but he does. He hits some pull-up jumpers. He hits some shots off the catch, and you look at it and say, it's possible for him. I've never really known what the upside exactly looks like with Zaire, but he's made some skill progressions, and it was good to see him back healthy and with that frame. Jacob Evans wasn't bad. I didn't think either. Uh, he just looked like a lot more comfortable and slower. For me, the athleticism translating up to the next level is the next question. Like, whenever he was out on the NBA floor, especially in the playoffs and the limited minutes that he played, and then additionally, um, even in the season, like, he just didn't look athletic at that level. Like, he's skilled and, like, can pass the ball and he can uh, knock down shots, but there are some real athletic concerns there. It was good, though, to see him at least like play well at this level, I thought. Yeah, and the shot seems like it took a turn back for the better as far as more of the Cincinnati shot rather than last right. year where I thought like his mechanics were altered. His, he did not look comfortable shooting. He wasn't like a great shooter here by any means, but I thought that he looked at least more comfortable from three. Played a lot of point guard, and that's been hyped up as like what he's going to do this year, play some backup point. I like him much more as a secondary I just that athleticism on the ball. I don't think it's incredibly functional, even though I do feel like he's a, a high field player. Like he he can make reads, he can make decisions. Mm-hmm. But I think that's going to be best. That's going to best come as like a secondary or a tertiary ball handler. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anyone else? Jared Vanderbilt was just Jared Vanderbiltian. Uh, <laughs> did exactly what you would expect Jared Vanderbilt to do. Just have a nose for the ball. Uh, show off some passing instincts from the high post, but the jump shot is ultimately going to be what tells the tale for him. Um, Tony Bradley, he was a third year guy. So like, he's not the second year kind of thing that we're talking about here, but like he was very productive at least. And like being there, he looked a lot fitter. He looked a lot, um, looked in much, much better shape. He has the length. He's like seven foot tall with like a seven, four, seven, five wingspan. Um, there's actual potential. Like I was thinking he was a definite guy that was going to get his fourth year option declined. I don't think that'll happen anymore. Like, he actually looked good enough to where they might want to keep him. Yeah, the physical, his frame just looked, he looked much more cut. And he's, yeah. his best work came in transition, rim runs. I, he still got picked on a little bit in space defensively, like Chris Clemens blew by him a couple times. And that's to be expected. He's not a great space defender, but you, he at least looked like a functional basketball player like in, in the past in summer league it was like okay this guy is not an nba player at all and now you look at him physically and you're like okay i think he can survive a little bit more on the floor as far as the speed of the game still don't know about the skill level or whatnot but he was very productive and i, I, I do agree with your overall point as far as he looks much better physically so uh let's use the knicks now as like a jumping point to transition from second year guys to uh the rookie class right because they have a little bit of everything there to talk about so the Knicks, I thought Mitchell Robinson looked better than any other Nick at Summer League. Uh, he just looked so much more athletic than everyone at the entire event. Uh, he is seven foot one with like seven five wingspan and just blocks shots with impunity, finishes far above the basket. I don't know, did he miss a shot at Summer League? 
Yeah, I'm legit <laughs> not sure. I think he was like 85% from the floor or something. Like, he, he missed a couple, but it wasn't much. I, I can double check why you keep talking. <laughs> he, he played to his strengths. You know what I mean? Like, he actually just did what his role is going to be uh, with the Knicks. And at this level, that role is just completely and totally dominant. You know what I mean? He's the most physically overwhelming athlete at Summer League. Like, his, his, his size, like you said, probably the best overall maybe not in every area functional, but a lot of areas functional athlete at that size is just ridiculous. And like I tweeted this last night, like if he, if the Knicks can just work on his technical defense, as far as his hand use in space, how he uses his chest to not foul so fucking much and contest at the rim with verticality and not swipe at everything and get a bunch of fouls. Like his game against, I I think it was the first game he played. He had like five goal tens. It's just like, if he can iron that stuff out, we talk a lot about, uh, it's really commonplace in the draft community. Like this guy has the tools and the athleticism to be like this incredible upside player. And usually it's not true because maybe they lack the baseline functional feel or whatnot. Mitchell has that feel. Like he's not like a cerebral, super cerebral player, but I think his foundational instincts defensively are actually pretty damn good. If they can just iron the technique out, this guy can be a monster on that end. Yeah. The more I watch him, the more I'm like, okay, this guy might be the next Rudy Gobert. Like the, and he moves that, better. There are very few guys that you can say that that like, is even a 5% outcome for. For Mitchell, I feel like yeah. that is like a like 5% outcome for him, right? Uh, I think he's probably just going to be like a limited starter quality center at the end of the day because I'm not quite as high on the field as you are. I think that he chases everything and it takes him out of rebounding position a little bit too often. Monster offensive rebounder, but defensive rebounding is very important for these guys uh, that play center as limited players. And uh, I don't really love the instincts there. Uh, the fouling is still an issue. Uh, I looked up the number 22 fouls in four games is what I have. Um, yeah. Like there are just so many little feel things that some guys figure out. Some guys don't that, I have genuine concerns about even if he's at the level he is now, he's so athletic. He is so um, just monstrous in the way that he utilizes that athleticism around the basket that he's going to be a valuable NBA player. Like no question. He's athletic enough. He creates havoc. It's just, is the upside going to be greater than, um, you know, solid starter? Yeah, and it's fair. I'm not saying he's like a tremendously high feel level player. I just think the feel is good enough to where he's a he's an f- incredible athlete. As far as like, I've never seen anybody his size block as many pull-up jump shots as he does. I don't know why guys shoot over him. It never works. He blocks everything. He alters so many shots when he's on the floor. And yeah, he can be a little undisciplined at times, but I think most of his issues are technique. Maybe you're never, he's not Jaron Jackson as far as his defensive feel and the like, rotational awareness and all of that but he moves better than almost anybody he's compared to. Like, he moves better than Gobert. He got beat in space yesterday, and he was able to, like, easily recovery block. Like, this guy just has a ridiculous margin for error. Yeah, like, his margin for error is that he's already, like, a a solid (laughs) player. You know what I mean? Um, All right, so let's move on to Kevin Knox. Yeah, I mean, like, were people excited about Kevin Knox at Summer League? I couldn't tell. Like, I've been trying to stay off the internet as much as possible. I think a lot of people that were completely blew it out of the water last year were so reluctant to do that after his regular season. They they were like, fuck it. I don't care what Kevin Knox does in Summer League. Like, I want to see it on an NBA floor. Well, that's good. Uh, He did a lot of the same (laughs) stuff at 
summer league this year. Um, I, I don't really feel great about him. Any like I feel like he's gonna be like a solid rotational four man. Honestly, like I think he's a four. I don't think he's a three. Um, and I feel like at the end of the day, he's got a shot to be a starter. Like the starter outcome is like not out of the question for me. I think a lot of people are ruling that out. Uh, and I think that he was just very overextended as a rookie this year. Like some people have said he was the worst player in the NBA last year. I think there's a difference between worst player in the NBA and most harmful player in the NBA. Like they made Kevin Knox play 30 minutes a night and he wasn't ready for that. So he probably harmed his team more, but also there's a difference between guys who have the ability to play 30 minutes a night and guys who don't have that ability. Uh, Like Kevin probably shouldn't have been playing 30 minutes a night, but um, there's just a difference to me in terms of the way that people talk about these guys. Like Ke- Kevin Knox is not the worst player in the NBA. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the advanced metrics just really hated him. So you get a lot of pushback with the RPM and stuff like that. That's a really interesting delineation. But I, I think there were some promising flashes with Knox. He passed a lot better in his final game in Summer League. It wasn't like high-level reads. It was kind of like Lonnie Walker. Some transition stuff. He had a nice skip, drive, and kick to the corner. So you saw some progression, but it's not anything that I'm like writing home about i want to see it on an nba floor i want to see him impact the game as far as impact winning to some extent like he's he's kind of right now he's kind of an empty calories guy like he got he got drafted yes. where he was because he he looks great shooting the ball and he has great size but Which, he doesn't by the way the he's game. always been an empty calories guy this is not like a new phenomenon with kevin knox exactly so that's the issue with me is like do you impact the game and like at summer league oh, a lot of guys get drawn to the scoring, the shot making, the shooting. He he looks great doing all of the, especially shooting and like some of the touch as far as attacking closeouts and stuff, but he needs to get he make, needs to make better decisions. Like there's still too many times where he takes a bad shot where a better shot is available. So it's just something we have to monitor moving forward. I'm not super high on him and I never really was, but uh it's not like he's a, a done deal as a prospect. Like he can improve. We'll kind of see if the Knicks put him in positions to succeed. Well, the the thing that worries me most is that generally the number one issue that he has on the floor on offense is finishing around the basket. And I want to say that he was like 40% again from two point range in summer league. Like this is the number one concern for Kevin Knox's game. He needs to figure out how to maneuver around players instead of trying to just go off at two feet and finish like through players every time. Number one skill issue, absolutely. If you could get away, unless he becomes like a dynamic shot maker, then you could probably excuse a little bit out of the finishing. His number one fe- issue to me is just general feel for the game and like knowing how to play basketball, making the right decisions. But I think right. from a skill set standpoint on the floor, I think you're right. Probably with his role, you want him to finish better, especially attacking closeouts. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Is there anyone else on the Knicks you want to talk about? Like, do you, we're going to talk about RJ, obviously, but like, is there anyone else that you feel like you need to discuss on the Knicks beyond RJ? I thought Iggy Brasdakis was actually pretty fucking good at Summer League. Like, he, this was a good setting for him to showcase his abilities, good off the catch, very decisive, and that really stands out in this setting. Yeah. Like, he always knows what he's doing, like attacking closeouts. He had a, I can't remember who they were playing, but he was the best player on the floor in that game. Um, so I was impressed with him. I thought that he, athletically, he looked fine. He's got the frame. It's going to be more of a scalability thing moving up to NBA athletes and like the higher level competition. I'm still not quite as sold on him in that setting, but I thought in this setting he did a lot of things right. Yeah, he averaged 18 a night, uh, five and a half rebounds, two and a half assists. I actually did think the passing feel was 
pretty good on driving kicks and stuff because what he's good at is uh, using that shot fake to get into the lane and making decisions. Basically, typically he tries to be the advantage scorer in that situation. But um, the thing with Iggy is the jump shot continued to just be on fire, right? Like teams are now treating him or like by the end of summer league, teams were treating him as like just a phenomenal flat out shooter. And I think that we're probably at that stage where if he is just like a flat out shooter, um, that's something that he struggled with consistency wise uh, at lower levels before Michigan. And he was even a little bit streaky at Michigan as well. Um, He's probably an NBA player. Like if he is going to knock down 40% from three, let alone 58, like he did at summer league, like that's not going to happen again. But uh, if he's a 40% three point shooter, he's probably an NBA player just because uh, of the toughness and everything else that he brings to the table. Yeah, he's good at what he's good at. As far as he's very good as an advantage scorer, he's good at, if he can hit that catch and shoot three and attack closeouts. That's where you want him as a, as like an off ball scorer type. So a pretty easy role to fit into a team. Yeah, no question. Um, trying to think uh, if there's anything else I want to bring up. The big question with him is just athleticism, right? Like, how does yeah. that scale up? Uh, R.J. Barrett. This is uh, this was he was. <laughs> Probably the most confounding player at Summer League, which I guess shouldn't come as a surprise, just given that uh, (laughs) what his game is at this stage. It is uh, confounding in many ways. So RJ had two just abjectly disastrous games uh, to start. I think that he went like seven of what, like 28 from the field in those games. And then... His last, what was it? I think he think he played three games after that, right? His last three games? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, he was really good in the last two. Um, the third one, he was probably, he was like a little bit inefficient. I want to say he was like maybe like six of 16 from the field or something. But passed the ball well, rebounded well, um, played pretty hard. <sighs> Look, the overall numbers here aren't great in terms of RJ. Uh but where are you at after having seen uh, the R.J. Barrett Summer League experience and scaling him up uh, in terms of playing against more tenable athletes? Because that's always been kind of the worry. Yeah, I'm in the same place I was. And this should be the case for especially us who really cover these prospects in depth. Right. Like There shouldn't be a lot of changing dynamic opinions about RJ. We knew the strengths. We knew the weaknesses. I just wanted to talk about the passing really quick because I don't think people get the passing argument with him. A lot of people say like he's not a good passer. He is a good passer. But a lot of people no, think he's, that he's like an incredible. Definitely a good passer. Yeah, but a lot of people also, like, there's another faction that thinks he's, like, an incredible passer, and he's not that either. Like, he's a guy who can make reads, he can make decisions and pick and roll, he can make that over-the-top pass off pin-down curls, for example, and that's, by the way, that's where the Knicks should use him a lot, is in those curl settings, like we've talked about in the past. Yep. He's also a guy who is a very inconsistent passer as far as willingness. He doesn't have great anticipation. We saw that in the first two games. Like There was one play where he drove into three guys. He had Kevin Knox wide open at the top of the key, didn't see the pass, didn't wasn't willing to make that pass. And that's the holdup with him is like he doesn't always look for that. And that's important to note in passing. It's not just like you make some good reads. It's about consistency across the entire you know game, across an entire season. And there's too many passes like that that he misses. But I, I, for me, he's a good passer. He's not a great one. The extreme takes on his passing, I, I just don't find them applicable, really. He, so he is a guy who is always going to bring out strong takes, 
in terms of his overall game in general, but like his passing particularly. Because from a vision perspective and from a, uh, you know, he can make a lot of passes and from a decisiveness perspective, I actually do think he is like an incredibly high level passer. His deal is the willingness, as you mentioned. And that's where he gets that tunnel vision where he decides, I am going to score this no matter what. Uh, His decision-making is bad. There's a difference between decision-making and decisiveness. He makes decisive plays just about every time that he is on the floor. His decision-making in regard to that decisiveness is often lacking right um yeah when he wants to pass and i think that that's where people get excited the fact that he's 19 years old and can already make all of these passes like just turned 19 as well um for a 19 year old six foot seven wing i do think he is like an extremely high level passer uh whether or not the potential there totally comes to fruition it's gonna be about rj as much as it's about anyone else like, it, it, RJ needs to make the decision. Honestly, my best skill right now is my big passes. Because it is. That's what he's good at right now. Um, he needs to make that call now as he's learning to shoot that, hey, I, as I'm figuring out my jump shot and as I'm figuring out how to be a primary scorer, I'm going to affect the game by making decisions at a better level than what I've shown throughout my career so far. And the best way for me to do that is by affecting the game via my passing. Yeah, 100%. I think this kind of builds into some of his decisions being premeditated almost. Like he's not, yeah, this they is my are. issue with him as well. Like he, he's like, I'm either going to pass or I'm going to score. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of on the fly. You're not improving a lot. You're not making decisions in the moment. And this is something that Jarrett Culver does. He can make that kind of on the fly decision. And I think that's a really important distinction to make when it comes to passing. Like Kobe Bryant was, I mean, I don't want to compare him to RJ, different caliber of athlete, but he was very premeditated. Like he was either like he was in facilitation mode, he was in scoring mode. There wasn't a lot of mix and match. Like LeBron, for example, incredible at making the right play. And that's part of passing. There's so many different elements to every skill, like vision, crafts, all of that. Like RJ has plus attributes when it comes to passing. He also has negative attributes, and I think that the willingness to consistently, and the ability to decipher a play on the fly, are two things that he really has to work on. Yeah, and you know, look, what's Jarrett? Jarrett's uh, probably a year and a few months older than RJ, right? Something like that? Yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah. And RJ has so long been the focal point of his team's attack that I think it's going to be a skill that is going to come along uh, later in RJ's career in terms of the reactivity uh, to what's happening around him. He has the skills. He has the talent. He has the ability to get... Like, here, here's going to be my number one question for you, actually, because what did you think of the ability to gain separation? Because that's ultimately the swing skill for RJ, I think. Uh, it's not the passing. The shooting is going to be essential, too. Like, he's going to need to knock down shots. But I think that, honestly, like, I think he's going to do that. Um, for me, the swing skill is the ability to gain separation in NBA spacing. What did you think of that uh, over the course of his five games in Vegas? I think some of it goes in concert with the threat of a shot and being able to get guys to press up on him a little bit more. I yep. thought at times 
he he's he's never been the shiftiest player. That he's he's a yep. bully ball. He likes he loves to use his body. I thought some of the strides, like he had a euro step in space. I think attacking a closeout. I think there's a difference between him starting from a standstill and him attacking off a curl, for example. Yes. I think that when you get him downhill, that's when he's at his best. His first step isn't great. I was actually a little bit more concerned with his last step coming into the draft process. We saw him truncate that last stride a lot of times to take floaters, for example. Some of that could have been, of course, because of college spacing. I think that is going to be, for me, still the swing skills. Can he operate east-west attacking downhill and kind of step around guys, create that separation? He's never going to be a guy. He doesn't have the shake. He doesn't have the handle. He's a little bit stiff as far as how he moves. Not that ridiculous, explosive first step from, like, triple threat or out of standstill. So I, I... there were all the issues. I thought you saw them manifest. He had some nice flash plays there. When he can get the corner on you, he can really hold you on his hip. He's very strong there. So there, there's pluses and there's minuses, just like there's always, just like there always has been. Yeah, he's more. He's going to be productive as a rookie because I think the Knicks will just play him. But he's more of a project than what I think people gave credit for um he needs to tighten the handle and add like a little bit more he needs to continue to hone in on the shot mechanics and he needs to hone in on the decision making the fact that he is as productive as he is now and is able to make as many plays as he is now despite those like projectable skills right project skills and projectable skills given that those two teams those two words have different connotations despite being from the same tree (laughs) i am still positive rj i have no reason to not be positive on rj given what we've seen yeah i mean for me i'm the same i had him fifth on my board i think there is there's definitely promise with him i think it's going to be productive my main thing with rj like i saw all these deficiencies my main thing is like he's a worker like that's why i had him in like my second tiers because this guy is going to do whatever it takes to improve his game right and it's it's not going to be as easy as a lot of people were saying is it going to step on the floor and be this great player it's going to take time and there are limitations that i think are going to keep him from being a high level like elite level nba player but you bet on someone with his approach as far as how he makes improvements to his game i think that's his most alluring trait honestly yeah i agree with you um what rookies do you want to go to next we can transition into rookies and we'll talk a little bit about like draft picks and everything as well um Nikhil alexander walker was maybe the most impressive rookie right he's on that short list man he was really really impressive so i was surprised with how much ease he has getting separation um I don't remember him having the technical handle ability in college that he seems to possess right now. Um, He made a big leap from year one to year two at Virginia Tech. It's very possible that he is now in the midst of making a big leap from year two to year three, uh, just in terms of tightening up his handle and being able to use his footwork to get into the paint. He was good at that at Virginia Tech, but there was more creativity, I thought, at Summer League. than what I'd seen from him at Virginia Tech. I think you just saw it in a more consolidated dose. Like, you saw all the craft at the rim. You saw, like, the hang dribbles and, like, keeping guys on their heels a little bit. I think just when he was playing point guard here, and he played point guard some for Virginia Tech, but that was more of, like, a system-oriented college setting. Now you're seeing him more in, like, an NBA pick-and-roll with the ball. I I agree. He he did look, for me, the first game especially, he just looked faster. He looked, he had better burst. It it just looked like he was getting downhill and and gaining that separation at times. I think as you work your way through his summer league tape, you see a lot more of the potential issues scaling up to, like, real NBA athletes and, like, length. Like, he was enveloped. 
you know, a fair amount of times with that athleticism, doesn't have that dynamic pop around the rim. But he has a ton of craft to compensate. Like he, again, his ability to use both hands, his finishing, his passing, all of that looks like it's real. For me, it was always the question of, is he going to be athletic enough to play the role that would give him high upside? Like, I don't think he's a lead initiator of an offense. I just don't think he has that kind of downhill burst. And as a secondary handler, how much value can you really have unless you're like a dynamic shooter? Because defensively, he's a good point of attack defender. Honestly, like that's his most underrated skill is his hand use and his ability to get around screens. But he's not going to switch on to bigger wings and like contain them consistently as far as like Paul George type. So a lot of promising stuff to see. But again, this is a player that if he returned to college basketball, he'd probably be the best player in college basketball. Like he's incredibly skilled. His IQ is pretty damn solid. Like, I don't think he's like an incredibly high IQ guy, but he makes a, a ton of reads that a lot of players can't make. It's just, does his athleticism scale up? I think he's definitely a high IQ guy on offense uh, with ball in hand. I think he makes a lot of really good reads. Uh, passes like he can make cross corner passes pretty easily he can make dump off passes like wraparound passes I I think he actually is a pretty high level decision maker when he has ball in hand Um, yeah I I still think he's a secondary versus like a primary point guard he looked a lot like a primary point guard at summer league but like you said uh, whenever he got matched up against athleticism the burst didn't seem to be there Um, I do think that like I thought that he had a chance to be a starter coming into the draft. I think I had him at like 16 or 17 on my board. Um, I still think that exists. Secondary ball handler starter. Put him next to Alonzo. Put him next to a Drew Holiday who can really create. Uh, especially Drew who can create in the half court. And I think that's what you're looking for with Nikhil. Um, super, super, super high level. Maybe even like a $100 million like role player. But I, I think that that's probably what he is. Yeah, no, I I have nothing to really go against that. I, I'm really intrigued to see, again, how he looks against bigger size, how it scales. And I think he does a lot of flashy things. Like, he's got a lot of that, the one-handed skips, some of the wraparounds, but also he had a lot of bad decisions in summer league. Like, if you, I watched every game of his, and fitting balls into places that wouldn't exist in an NBA setting, some live ball turnovers... There's it's mostly positive. It's like basically all positive. I just want to see. I don't want to overreact to this sample. You know what I mean? Like I still think there's going right. to be issues, but I also think that you you can't really say he he performed at his optimal point in summer league. Like there's nothing really bad to say about him right now. Yeah, no, that I agree with. Um, let's move on. I'm trying to think who else. Who who would you let's say? Do- so I brought up my rookie. Who would be yours? Yeah, I'll, I'll go to that in a second. But do you want to talk about Jackson Hayes really quick since we're on the Pelicans? And I think they're, I mean, the dunk. D- have you ever seen Jackson Hayes jump that high before? Because I have. Yes. yes, he can definitely jump that high. That jumping and all that stuff does not, nothing surprises me with Jackson Hayes. He is just a total physical freak. He is, and as far as movement skills, like he runs the floor like a wing. It's it, like some of his plays, like he had a tip in offensive rebound later in the tournament. It was like, holy shit. Like that guy just literally beat everybody down the floor. Like some of the movement stuff, I did not know he could jump that high. I think his leaping was kind of overrated in the draft process as far as he has a huge catch radius. He has great hands, but he's not like super, super, super like a 99th percentile explosive. And that dunk was like 99th percentile explosive. Like I don't know if I've ever seen someone like do that at that size. Like it was pretty incredible to see. Yeah, um, the athleticism stuff I think has always been there. Um, the thing that worries me and continues to worry me is just like positioning and knowing where to be and just everything that comes with like high feel for the game, guys. Uh, while he was ridiculously athletic, and that athleticism I think 
carried him to a standout summer league performance. Like he was really good. I wonder how it scales up uh, now going forward, because I think that some guys are going to have a pretty easy time getting him in foul trouble. Yeah. And I mean, his first game was incredible. Like even defensively, like he was flying around blocking shots. We really saw that elite level movement skills, athleticism, the ability to get to places on the floor quickly that basically nobody at his size can do the way he moves. I thought his defense overall actually was pretty bad at summer league. If you actually watched him consistently, like he was not physical depending on the post, his his rotations were late. A lot of the technical issues we talked about with Mitchell Robinson were there with Jackson Hayes fouling. It's going to be a process. Like there's, there's definitely upside there as far as I think he has that ability to be like an above average starter. I don't even know what his upside really is because he's so coordinated. Like with the ball is like grabbing goes like he has more offensive upside than he gets credit for my kind of hot take is he might be eventually better on offense than defense because I think defense, there's some real concerns about being an interior defender. And that's something that he has to answer. I, I love this is the best part about him is where he went in the draft, what team he went to. And you heard David Griffin talk about him in his interview. It was lights out like this guy needs to add core strength. You know, we're basically we were going to redshirt him and kind of develop him slowly as far as an interior defender. I think they're going to go about it the right way. I just think there's a lot of overreaction to that first game. But the upside is there. It's just going to be a process. Well, yeah, they went out and got Derek Favors. He's going to be their starting center. Um, yep. Honestly, I can't imagine a better player for Jackson Hayes to learn from than Favors, if only because Favors was that super athletic long guy coming into the league. Um, and he's figured out how to play defense. And Derek is now absolutely tremendous positionally defensively. So I think that that's going to really, really help Jackson Hayes develop as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think having a guy like Favors who really plays with toughness, hopefully you instill that into Hayes. Because that was honestly my biggest issue with him as a prospect is just he's not a very physical player. And getting that edge from Favors, if he can do that, I think that would be huge for him. So uh, who did you want to talk about as far as rookies? Because yeah, I think I guess we could move to Brandon Clark. That was kind of the obvious guy that we haven't talked about. Summer League MVP, all of that. I don't really give a shit about Summer League MVP. I was going to say, can I, can I give like kind of a hot take on that? Um, Please. I don't think he was the best rookie at Summer League, let alone the best player at Summer League. I think he was the best rookie, honestly, consistently. I don't think he was the best player, though. Yeah, like I, I get the appeal. I think that Brandon was really, really good. And I don't mean to like shit on him. He was awesome at Summer League. Um, like I thought... Carson Edwards was awesome at Summer League. I thought that Nikhil was awesome at Summer League. Uh, Brandon was probably better than Grant, but we'll talk about Grant Williams at some point as well. Um, Terrence Mann, I thought, was really good. We'll talk about... Like, there, there were a lot of rookies where I came away uh, equally as impressed with Brand, uh, with them as I was with Brandon. And I was surprised to see Brandon win MVP, even though their team went far and won the thing. Yeah, I, I think he was, to me, he was at least 1A to maybe Nikhil's 1B. I thought he was better than Edwards. I thought he was better than Grant Williams. I, I Consistently, as far as defensive impact and just impacting the game, I thought that he just was at a different level because Carson, like he's kind of inconsistent with his defense. And like when the shot making isn't going, he's not creating at a high level for other players. And I thought Clark just did things that really contributed to Memphis's run. And I, you, you, yeah, there was a little bit of bias just because of how deep Memphis went in the tournament. And again, I don't really give a shit about, you know, who wins the award. I thought that Clark deserved to be at least one eight for me personally. Yeah. So give me, give me why you really like Brandon Clark uh, at summer league. Give, give me for the 97th time on this podcast. The yeah, Brandon seriously. Clark spiel. Yeah. I just, I don't know what more there is to say at this point. Frankly, it's yeah. like this is an elite level functional athlete who impacts the game in so many ways. The shooting, 
again, this is someone who has elite touch. He had he worked over his mechanics. A lot of the stats in college don't apply because he has different mechanics that aren't a shot put from his right shoulder. So you get that in time. You've seen the work ethic. This guy is a great defensive player. He's not Jordan Bell. He's got way better instincts. He showed yeah. all, everything you want to see in his game. And I think the shooting surprised a lot of people, which I don't think it should have. Like I'm not saying he's like an elite level shooter now because he shot 55% from three in summer league. But if you watch his arc, his arc was really good. The fact that he hit, I think, four above the break threes and five or six of his jump shots were dead swishes. Like they were, it wasn't like he got the ball rolling around the rim. They were like dead on shots. And if he can shoot the ball, that pushes his ceiling to a higher level. But again, this is for me, he was the second best basketball player in this class. And he played that. He played that way. Yeah, he was, he was exceptional at summer league. I thought like he, he was really, really good. Um, the jump shot still worries me in terms of it takes a long time for him to load into that thing. Like yep. it's summer league. It's a little bit different just because the defense isn't as intense and it's summer league athletes, but like it still takes him a long time to load into it, but it's positive strides. Like it's no question, positive strides defensively. He's just everywhere. I mean, he's absolutely obscene defensively. Um, he's going to make an all defense team at some point. Like I feel pretty strongly about that. Um, whether or not he makes five or six of them versus one of them will depend on how the rest of his game develops. But like, he's going to be one of the best defensive players in the league. Um, in terms of the uh, the other stuff offensively, uh, they didn't really play him in a role where he got to like have the ball in his hands a ton. It was more like generally wreaking havoc in the games I watched. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, he wasn't playing with good guards either they missed him on a lot of things he was playing more of like the play finisher pick and roll right in space a little bit it's at times he would space from the corner but he's not getting the ball consistently yeah so i liked i think that's his role like you think he can do a little bit more with ball in hand than i do i think he's a good passer and like you can short roll him and stuff but like you're not you're not going to have him like ever initiate offense like you would agree with that right no he's not bringing the ball up and playing pick and roll as the ball handler but, but, but I do even like- as like even as like a guy that you say you bring the ball up on the right side of the floor with your point guard and you give him the ball in the center of the floor and let him make a decision to initiate your offense. I think he can do that. I think he can play a dribble handoff. I think that he makes good reads for the most part. And we saw his face up ability. This is why I was, again, a little bit higher on him than a lot of people was like he he, he can get to the rim like his straight line drives. He, he, he's not yeah. like great as far as like he's not going to double cross you like Jaron Jackson and get to the rim. But like he blew right by Jackson Hayes in space like easily and yeah. got to the rim like his face up attacks are better. So I think he can play a little bit in the middle of the floor, initiating kind of running dribble handoffs, situationally attacking the rim in that capacity. But initiate is like that's a pretty high bar to clear <laughs> yeah putting him with jaron jackson and john morant is going to be just yes. absurd i am so excited to watch them um brandon was really good at summer league he was really really good another guy that i want to bring up that was really really good before we get to the celtics guys terrence mann was awesome at summer league terrence mann was so good at summer league i thought he did every single little thing that you want terrence mann to do he played like transition point guard for the clippers he rebounded the basketball like a motherfucker he had exceptional reads passing um i feel like he's i think he averaged like six assists i feel like that underrated how good of a passer he was at summer league he's still not like a shooter scorer but he does literally everything else on the floor yeah and that's always been who he is he 
I think defensively, he might be a little limited as far as lateral quickness at times. I've seen some bad tape of his there, but he's an incredible basketball player. He's so cerebral. Like his per 36 stats, like 11 points, 15 rebounds, 7.4 assists. Like he really just, his passing is incredible. Like he's one of those wing passers that is just like basically elite. Like he can make every read on the floor quickly. He's super unselfish. He plays the right way. I love his game. It just comes down to the shooting. Can he make a catch and shoot three with with consistency? Like he didn't shoot well from the line either at Vegas. So it's like if he can shoot, he's probably going to be like a top 15 player in this. He has that kind of upside just because he is a top five to six IQ guy in this class. It's someone I, I, I love to bet on. I had him as like a second round guy, but I, I just don't buy the shot enough. If he had the shooting, I mean, he's a, a no doubt rotation player in the NBA. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about Calvin Gelly real quick, too, because he was very productive at Summer League, at least. Like, I want to say he averaged like maybe 18 and seven, right? Something like that. What did you think of Calvin Gelly? I think he's a better offensive player than defensive player, just because I think his Strong best agree is his shooting. Like, I believe in the shot. He can really shoot the ball uh, a little bit more coordinated at times, attacking closeouts. Like, he can do a little bit facing up as a ball handler. I thought his interior defense was an absolute train wreck at Summer League. Like, I thought that... (laughs) He was like his rotations were poor, like he couldn't get to the ball quickly. There were times where he didn't contest. Like I probably have like a page of notes somewhere on his defense in the summer league. And it's just like I was looking at like, how is this guy going to be? He's not going to be your primary rim protector. Um, He can do a little bit from the weak side. He has the range. His length is really good. Like he's one time he blocked Brandon Clark on a recovery. But like to me on defense, like he's not a he's not a quick off the floor guy. He's more of a load leaper. He's just basically all length. So it's, it's a little bit concerning. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, plays super hard, which helps. Yes. But it's like, it's, I don't want to say he's a try hard in that, like, he just tries to make it look like he's, like, playing super hard because I do think he genuinely, like, has a great motor. But it, it's like him and you can see the same thing with Daniel Gafford, right? Like, Gafford probably uh, also had a shit ton of blocks. But with Gafford, like, you can see how this is going to be a failure on some level defensively in the NBA just because, uh, I mean, shit, like, he's great at recovery, but he's almost never in the right position on the weak side, and he is uh, just not a guy that I think is going to translate well to guarding uh, away from the basket. I think Gafford's main issue is just you can see the blood in the water with his knee bend and how his balance is so shaky in space. Like there's times where he would just kind of cave his knees in moving in space. And some league guards aren't going to take advantage of that as much. But if you put him in a switch setting or if he's in a situation in pick and roll where he has to come out to the level of the screen and then change directions, like lead guards are going to feast on him. You can just see it already bubbling at the surface. So I, I did like some of his reactions, some of his rotations, not high level, of course, but I thought he could really cover ground, like you said, recovering. But I... For both of those players, you can kind of see where the issues are going to be, and they're going to be more stark in an NBA setting. Let's talk about the Celtics guys real quick. Uh, Grant Williams plus minus became a story. Uh, <laughs> that's just the most Grant Williams thing in the world. And then the most Grant Williams Incredibly. thing about the Grant Williams plus minus story was that Grant Williams <laughs> this is so good. doesn't know what goes into plus minus. Which, by the way, like I've talked to Grant about like advanced metrics before. Uh he does not really go for them. Like he's not like a huge advanced analytics guy, despite what you would think about him being like super cerebral about stuff. <laughs> he is more of like a reactionary, just super high field guy who doesn't really care about that stuff. That's freaking hilarious. Like every quote he has about like fitting into the team construct, all the stuff about like inviting Carson Edwards to play like board games and shit. He's just the best. Like he's honestly like that dude can be the president one day and I'm a hundred percent here for it. 
Grant was really good, um, just in position everywhere, super smart defensively. Um, offensively, knocked down shots at a high level. You were yelling about him being in the three-point contest at one point. Um, I, I wouldn't go that far. But <laughs> I, I think Grant is just going to be day one rotation player. Uh, just immediate, better than Shimmy Ojale, like upgraded there. Like he, He's just a stud. He's the total package except for athleticism. Yeah, it's mostly like the size and the reach. I thought laterally he looked really good. Like I thought he contained yeah. in space. I've always been kind of higher on that end. I think he's a good lateral athlete. It's just he's not a great leaper from a standstill. He's going to get exploded over the top of at times. Here, here's my kind of hot take for you. Like I think the big defensive deficiency with him is he's almost like a chronic over helper like he always helps like every single time and it's like sometimes he'll just like help one pass away off a strong side corner and hit a three like i remember that play happening in the celtics i can't remember who their summer league coaches but just like slapped his forehead or something <laughs> like he's just yeah. so in tune with like a team contract but i think his lateral concerns are overblown i think he's going to be okay there i think he's going to be fine enough it's more like for me does he have the range to close out when he's on the weak side there's some issues there but overall i mean like the shooting catching on the hop looking much more confident quickly releasing shots like that was my i I knew he had the touch and i thought he was going to shoot but like it was more the approach and like he got threes up at a pretty good rate yeah uh i'm not as worried like he definitely is a chronic overhelper, but i think he's smart enough to figure that out like he'll be fine exactly on that um i do think it's the length and the reach um that's gonna plague him a little bit because uh six nine wingspan like he does just get finished over the top of at times like you, you could even see it at summer league it's gonna happen in the nba like he just doesn't explode off the ground uh at a high enough level like Brandon Clark gets away with being short armed because he has the best like standing vertical leap of any human being on earth um, (laughs) other than maybe Zion. So like, it doesn't really matter, but with Grant, Grant doesn't have that. And additionally has like a six ten wingspan. So I I think that that's where the concern comes into play. Yeah, that's absolutely the overall concern. I was kind of like, it was a jest point about like chronic overhelping. I think he's going to figure that out because he's smart. I, the physical tools and the athleticism not being great, especially vertically, is going to be his most debilitating issue moving forward. We'll see to what extent. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to be optimistic about. Like, just a quick note about him operating with Carson because we'll probably talk about Carson next. But it's like the yeah. Carson Grant pick pick and roll is like my fucking jam, dude. You have Carson's pull up gravity. You have Grant on the short roll. Like, I, I just want to see that more. Yeah, Carson. Carson's a stud. That dude just has no conscience. He is going to knock down shots at a high level at the NBA level and be at the very least a third guard. Like that that's kind of what I've always thought and that's what I continue to believe. Yeah, I think the thing with Carson is he wasn't very fun to watch at Purdue at times. He was kind of a gunner and I think that influenced his draft stock is like he played a very specific way and it wasn't like you enjoyed watching his decision making, right? But what he did have was an NBA skill set. He can run off screens, he's a dynamic pull-up shooter. Um, he can screen with his strength. There's a lot to his game in a specific role that you can really harness and, and get value out of. So I think that in the process maybe knocked him down. I ended up with him at like 14, like pretty freaking high, just because I was like, this guy has an NBA skill set. Like he's going to be valuable in certain capacities. And he went to a great organization. I love the four-year deal. They got him on three years guaranteed team option fourth year so he can hit restricted free agency. I thought that was a huge one for the, for Boston there. Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, is there any other Anyone else you want to talk about in general at Summer League? Maybe, maybe survey here. Would you? Quindari Weatherspoon I thought was good. 
he was good. Like he's a very, very quintessential Spurs player, a very good decision maker. He's always been a good passer. Again, like the, at the combine, he was playing with Terrence Mann. They're on the same team. And it's like, holy shit, the IQ on this team is incredible. You know What'd what you I'll say, Robert? though? I, I want to talk about Quadari real quick because yeah, yeah. I thought that the athletic pop was a little bit better than what I thought it was. Okay. Like, I, I thought that my biggest concern with him in general has always been, is he a good enough athlete to play in the NBA? I'm basically at the point where I think that's true. Like, I think the Spurs got a steal. Andy's on a two-way now. Like, I, I think that they're going to, they might have to convert him like next year. I think he's good. Yeah, no, I, I, he was a little bit better athletically. I want to see how it scales um, with a lot of these guys, but I do agree generally that that, that was something that definitely popped a little bit. Um, yeah, you wanted to bring up Robert Williams. Uh, I, like, what is your take on Robert Williams? I was going to say, what is your take on him overall? Because there's no like consensus opinion of him. He's very, I don't even know if he's like a smart basketball player at times, but he makes some incredible passes. It's just like, I don't know what to do with him. I have no idea. Uh, he makes incredible passes. <laughs> and then Scott Morrison, their coach, after the game is like complaining, yeah, he's taking 16-footers right now. I don't know why he's doing like stuff like that, right? So yeah, he's a good passer. I don't know if he's a good decision maker. Yes. He is a good recovery shot blocker. He has that Mitchell Robinson thing where he can block jump shots too. Um, yep. Great reaction time. Great at mirroring his leap with the uh, opposing players, uh, offense players' leap. But I don't know that I would call him like a particularly good defender at this stage. Um, gets lost a bunch and is still trying to figure things out in terms of like positioning. He's still a ball of clay in a lot of ways yes. that I think could end up like figuring itself out, but. It's definitely nowhere near being done yet. So, like, he is a project worth, like, if the question is, should Boston pick up his, uh, like, third-year option? Yes. Yes, 100%. Like, no question. They should continue down this road. And I think that when they took him or when anyone was going to take him, uh, when he fell to them at 27, it was always going to be a project. It was always going to take some time. But... I don't know that it's coming along as quickly as what I would have hoped, maybe. Yeah, I don't know what to do with him. I, I don't, my only takeaway is like Bill Simmons always talks about, you used to call Tony Allen trick or treat Tony Allen, and I think that trick or treat is Robert Williams. Like it's good and bad, it's both. And like you get extremes of both iterations. I'm just very curious to see how they develop him because there's a lot to work with. I just don't know what to do with him. He's like a, I think Mitch Robinson's better than him, but they're like kind of on the same continuum. I think Mitch Robinson's margin for error is much higher just because of his size and just how he moves in general. But like Robert Williams, there's, there's some shit to work with. Like he's a much better passer he can function in different settings yeah no i agree with all that um is there any other any other rookies you want to talk about i think we got to talk about two guys kobe white tyler hero what, what are your takes on them kobe so kobe shot like three of 30 from three or something like that it, it was like a disaster number i don't really care about that do you uh no yeah i'm, I'm not worried about the shot i continue to be worried about the high dribble um that yep. is just a thing that he needs to fix. He needs to be able to create um, separation. And I think that the high dribble stops him from doing that. Um, you had mentioned, or you posted a couple clips of him making like cross court read passes. And you and I like made jokes like, oh, he's never done that before. But it wasn't really a joke. Like I've literally never seen him make a cross court pass before this uh, <laughs> summer league. 
it was definitely not a joke. Like I did that. I was posting it because I was like, holy shit, what the hell is that? Like I, I've seen every pick and roll possession in this guy's career. And like he was never making that pass. And in fairness, it wasn't like a tough read. Like in some of the situations, I think two of the skip passes, like there was literally nobody on the weak side um, from the defense. So it was like a simple cross court. But just to see him do that, I think that that's the kind of progression you want to look for with Kobe White. Because I thought in the first couple games of summer league, he really struggled with decision making. Like he was basically a one read guy hitting the dive man, which is what he was for the most part. North Carolina, but he was making you know bad execution passes. He was the wrong timing, some live ball turnovers. I thought he got a little bit more comfortable with his passing as the tournament went on, and I, I thought his defense was honestly pretty impressive. Like I thought he was a better defensive player at summer league than offensive player. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. Like he, I will say this: I had him at seven on my board. I think I would have him lower, and it doesn't really have anything to do with summer league. I was saying this to I was sitting with. Um, Tate Frazier and Titus and Russillo for one of the games. And I mentioned that um, he's the guy that I think I should have had lower on my board, just from like thinking about his game from like a functional perspective more and more. Um, Yeah. Like, I I think that it doesn't work quite as well as what I thought it did. And that was even before summer league that I was thinking this. So uh, I would have had him at like, 10 maybe now but like the upside is there he's super fast the transition stuff translated he made interesting passing reads like he showed growth he was better defensively than what we thought um there like it's not that he's a bad player but i do just worry about the way all the pieces come together yeah absolutely and i think he's going to be good on chicago's second unit if they play him with chandler hutchinson and daniel gafford i would definitely push the pace that's what kobe's best at as far as really pushing the ball down the defender's <laughs> throat and we'll kind of see how it, it materializes there i had him on i think 12 on my board i had him right next to garland it was garland white Tyler Hero, who we can talk about now, and then Carson Edwards. I thought there was a lot of similarity there. I, I would still take Garland over those guys because I think he has a little bit higher of an upside. But a lot of these guys are shot-making guards. That's, that's what they do. Well, yeah, let's talk about Hero. So Miami played Hero largely as a lead guard. Uh, I think that it was more just from a developmental standpoint that they did that, which totally yep. reasonable. I think it's pretty smart to do that for teams. Um, in general, I yeah, thought he was fine uh he made shots at a reasonable clip he attacked closeouts reasonably well his pick and roll prowess was better than what i expected it to be as a lead ball handler uh he just didn't get a chance to do that at kentucky so it was interesting to see him get to show those skills um yeah i mean i thought tyler was fine i think people it seemed like he was someone that people pinpointed as like a standout of summer league i wouldn't go that far at all And I think I know why. I think you have such a conception about what you think his game is. Like he was probably put into this box of this guy's like a floppy shooter or something who runs off screens and he's a tertiary guy who's mostly just a catch and shoot shooter. But I mean, even at Kentucky, he showed flashes of more than that when they'd actually allow him to, he had, he has ball skills. He can make a a pick and roll read his hand. His handle isn't great, but it's functional enough to get to his pull-up. He can do more than I think his reputation coming into the draft was, and I think a lot of people overreacted a little bit to that. When you look at his game functionally, like there were still issues with his handle and traffic, his ability to finish, like his yep. lack of length extension I thought was a big concern, but this guy has the best touch in the draft. Like I'm pretty confident saying that. I think his floater touch is going to be really high level, uh, you know, 90% from the line. He was 90%, like 95% at Summer League. Like This guy can shoot the hell out of the ball. He has that natural touch. And he has confidence for days. Like this guy is like, he's going to be able to play functionally in an NBA setting just because he has it there mentally. Yeah, I agree. He's going to play in the NBA. He's going to be a good player uh, (laughs) in the NBA for a while. Like I'm not, not real worried about him, I guess. Like 
people I think yeah, I think people are overrating him. Like he looks like yeah. a good NBA player. For a while, I would not call him like a significant standout of summer league. I thought he was fine. Yes, I'm right there with you. Just some rapid fire guys really quick. Uh, Miles Bridges, do you have any takes there? I didn't get to see them enough. I don't have any take at all, really. Yeah, I'll just go really quick. I I think that he didn't dominate. You know what I mean? Like some of some, some of the second year guys, you look to come in and like they're noticeably the best player on the floor. And Miles didn't do that. Maybe that's not his game overall. He's more like we talked about an advantage scorer shooter, but he didn't have that aura. And that's something that if you thought his upside was really high, it probably concerns you. I think he's still going to be a really good NBA player, but I was a little disappointed with him. Yeah, again, I don't even know. Should we talk about Terrence Davis? <laughs> that's That was my next guy. So Good, Terrence go Davis <laughs> got, uh, got his money finally. He got his guaranteed deal from the Raptors. Um, he decided to go undrafted. He very much could have been undrafted or could have gone gotten drafted. Uh, I want to say like late 40s, early 50s. Um, decides to go undrafted, decides not to sign a two-way, goes to Summer League, plays super well in the first game. Toronto signs him. Uh, what did you think of that? I loved it. I thought it was a great move. I had Terrence Davis as like a late first, like maybe like 28, 29. I think maybe 29 I had him ranked. So I thought that the, the value was there. And we knew, like we were texting during this. We were like, yeah, Terrence Davis probably just doesn't want to be on a two-way. He's going to bet on himself. And I thought that he did that well. I mean, his athleticism and his shooting ability, he shot well at Summer League. That stands out immediately. And it's, it's a good story. I, I He's a great kid. You'd like to see guys succeed. And it was kind of fun that Toronto and Masai and whoever reported this to Masai, maybe it was even Masai that saw him play, were so quick on the trigger. I, I thought that was a really nice move. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a useful... Like, I think he's an NBA player, like full stop. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was definitely the right move. Um, I want to say that he was like fifteen five and five or something with uh, Toronto afterward, right? Yeah, I can I can pull that up really quick. I, he definitely had more assists than I expected. He ran some decent pick and roll. Let me see. I don't know what it was with just Toronto, but per thirty six, he was twenty three and a half, seven point seven rebounds, and six point four assists. And he shot you know forty one forty two percent from three. So he he did a lot of good things his playmaking isn't like super high level as far as decisions but he showed some basic readability so there's some stuff to work with there um undrafted guys uh the guy that i really liked as well was naz reed i thought naz reed was awesome throughout summer league um his final against memphis i want to say that he was like pretty inefficient as a shooter didn't knock down threes but like in general i thought his offensive game really really translated to NBA spacing and to this level. Now the question is, will the athleticism translate uh, as he goes up to the next level? Yes. I mean, that's the entire issue with him is defensively. Can he hang enough in space? Played a lot in drop coverage, not a leaper. I thought that he struggled at times there as far as on dribble drives with guards, even bigs who can just explode over the top of him. I thought there were some issues, but you saw the offensive talent. I mean, this guy, he has footwork in the post. Nobody really cares about that anymore, but like you, you can just see the natural coordination that he has, the above the break three-point shooting ability that you've discussed many a time passing flashes a lot of very very bad reads as far as that that's right in cahoots with what he's been as far as he's a talented player but you don't you wonder if the decision making is going to be there but I, I did think he represented himself well had good stats uh i, I think it's a fine two-way for for uh, minnesota yeah i agree uh i'm trying to think who else who else duncan robinson earned himself like the guarantee on his miami deal uh, I think that honestly, that's a good move for Miami. Like he's just a pure shooter. Yep, yeah, hundred percent. He he popped when I was watching Miami. Kendrick Nunn 
was really good. Like he, I think he was like second team or first team all summer league. I thought he played more of a point guard role, so showed some distribution ability. Honestly, I didn't know at times he was like that athletic. Like he has a couple of really, really nice finishes at the rim. I thought his defense was horrendous, but I think like Miami's like how they signed him. I think the last day of the regular season, I think that's paying dividends a little bit. Should we uh, talk about Gary Trent? Gary Trent looked like a very useful floor spacer, at least, uh, especially against the Bucks. I mean, he dropped like 28. Uh, the shot looks good, though. Looked really good. Looked good on pull-ups. It looked good off the catch. Like, he initiated a lot of sets, especially when Simons went out. Like, their final game, ran some pick and roll, uh, made some pocket passes that were kind of interesting. His defense, again, wasn't very good, but his frame is really alluring, and he can really shoot the hell out of the ball. So I, I think that he's probably going to stick, honestly. Yeah, no, I... I think that i probably agree with that um Rui, we should talk about because Rui made second team all summer league uh i don't know how that happened it was a poor decision <laughs> on the nba's part um he had one really good game i'll give him that he did. like he, the 25 point game against the hawks the hawks might have had the worst summer league team though like i know oh, they won a couple games but like they weren't a particularly appealing summer league team, uh, especially that game, if I remember correctly, because, um, or no, 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 all their guys, I think that all their guys played. Bruno played, or no, Hunter didn't play in that game. That's right. DeAndre didn't play in that game. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm like, Rui didn't shoot it well, um, basically did all of the things that concerned like you particularly but also me to an extent about it yeah he was as advertised some of the shot making when it goes in the pull-up shooting in the mid-range is impressive but you know i thought he has some actually some decent rim protection sequences but most of them were in space where the play was in front of him so he got some uh, there's some pushback by some other like non-draft community guys like oh you can't play defense and it's like okay yeah he's a pretty he's a pretty solid athlete so he's gonna make plays at times (laughs) you know what i mean um, can we talk about Ange Pesechnik? Oh God, no, uh, we can't. <laughs> Good probably God. the right idea. Um, he the for the for a former first round pick, uh, Ange. Oh no. boy, his uh, he played one of the worst stints of five minutes of summer league I've ever seen in my life. Uh, in their second game, and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Good God. Uh good God. If you I, on the on the Wizards, really quick. If you pulled everybody on twitter how many do you do you think would actually know that troy brown exists at this point like a i feel like he's like completely forgotten about <laughs> i don't know I don't, uh, like i think he's fine i think he's pretty pretty solid he played a lot of point for them in summer league like he looked pretty good i thought honestly yeah, he was decent, and he's reformed his mechanics, one, much more of a clean one-motion release in front of his forehead, whereas before he would kind of cock it to the right side. I was just getting at just basically, just, does anybody know this guy exists like in the league? Just because it seems like he just completely disappeared, 15th pick. He's fine. I think his, his athleticism concerns are still there, but I, I did like some of the feel. He's always, he's always had the feel. I, I don't know how. He might be a lower-end rotation player. I don't think he's going to be a starter. He was fine. Uh depends on the shot if he could shoot it i think he actually does have a chance to be like a real rotation player but yeah, i don't know I think what rotation I think. players yeah rotation player for me is kind of like more of like the realistic ceiling i i, I tend to like players like this who have feel I, I just again there's a lot of athleticism concerns there yeah i think i would agree with that um i'm trying to think mo bamba played a couple of games did you have strong takes on bamba he played like his shot looked actually pretty good yeah that's what i uh, thought too like, yeah, he had a couple pick-and-pop threes. He had one face-up mid-range from the right side of the floor, I remember. He looked, other than that, he looked like a player who hasn't played in, like, five months. Like, he was slow to react. He was slow to move. But he added a, b- a bunch of weight. 
So I kind of I'm very curious to see him in year two because he had to get that weight gain. How real is the shot? How real is the movement ability? But I I just didn't, I didn't have any t- strong takes because again he looked like somebody who hadn't played basketball in a while. Let's see any anyone else anyone else. Jock Lawndale was really good for the Bucks. I don't know that any of it's translatable, but we should mention Jock Lawndale. <laughs> also, like Jock was knocking down threes too, like. He made three threes against the Chinese team. Um, do we? You know, what's kind of good for the Bucks is is Bonzi Colson. I thought Bonzi Colson had some really nice offensive stints, and his defense wasn't good. Same with I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but Dalton. How do you say his last name? Thomas. Yeah, so he can shoot the shit out of the ball. Uh, he can't do anything else. He's a dreadful defensive player. But I, I thought that both him and Colson kind of flashed offensively. They had some interesting guys. Like, what do you think? Do you see any of Rajon Tucker? Uh, yeah, I watched them a little bit. I mean, he's super athletic. They played him like a little bit more on the ball than what I expected, yep. which was interesting. Um, the Bucks were like kind of sneaky, a fun summer league team. Um, Lawndale was really good. Rajon Tucker was interesting. They played DJ Wilson. Uh, Elijah Bryant had like multiple, like really, really good games. Uh, I think he had like 15 in the game against China. And then he had like the big, like 28 point outburst in like 20 minutes. Uh, I forget who it was against. Um, and they had like Matt Farrell and Hamas and Fletcher McGee was out there running around. Plus Colson, like you said, like they were a much more fun summer league team than what I was expecting coming. Yeah. And I think Sterling Brown only played a first couple of games. That guy like sucks in summer league. He just can't play summer league basketball. Like he can't scale his game as far as higher usage. He might not even be good. I don't, I don't know. Like he, he wasn't very impressive for you know, his age and his experience level. I thought Tucker, the best part about Tucker, I think it was the second half of one of the games where like he kept going under on like a dynamic pull-up shooter. And I think the coach yanked him like two minutes into the half. Like there's a lot of decision-making issues there, but definitely a good athlete. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anyone else, anyone else you want to bring up? I'm looking over like why why did Jared Allen play in summer league? Like I don't think he was even like great. Like his numbers were good, but like what? So there, there was a reason. So he, um, was there for U.S. Select Camp and just asked them to play. And they cool. said, sure, you can play. Yeah, that's fine. Like, I was just genuinely curious because like, I think that's getting a lot of pushback. Like, why would you play Jared Allen? Like, he's a starting caliber player in the NBA. But it was uh, like his last game. I think he played when he played Minnesota. He literally looked like a giant out there, especially when Minnesota's five at the time was like Murphy from Minnesota. And yeah. like Jared Allen's <laughs> like twice as tall as that dude. It was just kind of hilarious to watch. Yeah, like Naz Reed like caught him. A few times, honestly, like just going under screens and like kind of half paying attention because, of course, he was half paying attention playing summer league. Um, But, yeah, it was it was pretty funny to watch that. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anyone else? I don't think there's anyone else, man. Like Chris Boucher was really good, I guess. Like maybe we finish on Chris Boucher. He was the G League MVP this year. Um, Can knock down shots from distance. He's better than what I thought he was. I'll give give him that. But I, I don't know. I mean, do we care? Is he like is he like a quad A player because he's too skinny? Maybe that's the thing. Is like just the skinniness. Like he's just the frame concerns are there. But I thought some of his games he was really really impressive. Like his feel, he was making good decisions. The shot, like the high release point, making great rotations on defense. I mean, wasn't he like G League player of the year last year? Like he's good at basketball. It's just yeah, about he's the G League MVP. Yeah, yeah, he's good. Um, I, I would say a quick a couple of quick guys undrafted. Chris Clemens is like the most Houston player literally of all time. 
like he's he's a better fit on Houston than Shamori Pons just because that dude's just gonna freaking chuck shots and he's a really good athlete and he's built like a brick shit house honestly he was like the, yeah. the perfect stylistic fit just getting up threes Josh Reeves someone we've talked about before on, on the podcast thought he was actually pretty decent for Dallas I they agree. played him on the ball they played him on the ball a little bit more a little bit more initiation his energy is just infectious played with that you know his normal edge there still some bad fouls that's what he was doing all senior year but I thought that he actually might get a look um, maybe not on a two-way for that but maybe on like a partial training camp deal um, I thought he's he on a two-way honestly. he signed a two-way like oh, way the draft yeah oh shit I totally missed that cool yeah no he's on a two-way he's, he's in an interesting spot for them I think he's actually pretty good what did you think of Nasir Little that's one guy we should just mention quickly oh god he was not good man like he didn't even look like he belonged in summer league I mean physically of course he's always going to stand out because he's six seven seven foot one wingspan and he's jacked but he was not productive Uh, he had one nice defensive stand I can't remember who he contained but he changed directions like three times and then contested the shot that was impressive outside of that like I barely noticed him he postered some dude who was it for oh yes Utah maybe you might have postered some like white dude for Utah. Yeah, it was definitely it was off the right baseline and then off two with two hands. Like that was that was pretty impressive. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, it wasn't great. Uh, hopefully that works itself out. I, I would like this year to be successful. A hundred percent. That kid's awesome. Uh, Matisse Thibault, really quickly. The Philly had two guys that were probably worth discussing. Thibault is, as advertised, I think, defensively struggled with over-pursuing at times, over-committing, getting beat individually in man defense, but was awesome off the ball, rangy, like lock and trail. Shot the ball really well, honestly. I was really impressed with him. I think he was like 60-70% from like the corners when he just shot off the catch. Like Sometimes he would take a dribble, and it wouldn't be as fluid or would come off movement, but I think his shot actually looked really good in situations where he's going to have to perform. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I don't think I have anyone else, man. I think that I think I'm done with summer league. We've talked for two hours now about summer league. One more guy. That's it, and then I'm done. Oh God, <laughs> Shake Milton. That's the last guy I want to say. Just oh yeah, Shake's interesting. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, they, they played him on the ball a lot. Um, he really struggled with efficiency. I don't think he's going to be a point guard, and if that's their idea for him, like I think he's much better as an off-ball player. That's my only take. His athleticism is just really concerning. Yeah, he's. Like, the idea behind him is a lot of the idea that I had for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Just, he's less athletic and has less creativity. Exactly right. So, um, but like, they signed him to a four-year deal with two guaranteed years. I think that's a reasonable deal to sign if you think he's going to defend and knock down shots. Yeah. It's not bad. I just... I'm a little dicey about what I've heard about what his role is going to be and whatnot. Like he's just not—he's not a point guard. He's a secondary, tertiary guy. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Like he's the guy that you want to put next to Ben Simmons if you want Ben to run the show. Yes, and then you need another guy who can also make plays off the dribble with them. And I, I don't think he's not going to be that guy. He's a yeah, guy a who's point. more of like a three and D point guard who can run a point. He can run a pick and roll, but he's not going to put any pressure on the rim. Yeah. All right, Cole. I think that's about all we got here. <laughs> um, please plug whatever you have right now yeah i'll have an article coming out i'm going to write about this iguodala to the clippers idea just because i find it really fascinating in the way that the clippers can just put a vice grip on the rest of the league i have watched most of fiba u19 the usa team i'll probably write something about Cade cunningham at some point even though he's a 2021 guy right now love 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 his game like he's one of my favorite prospects i've ever watched 
he's really good. Like he's one of those guys where you watch five minutes of him and you're like, yep, he's he, he this is the next guy. Like he's his feel is incredible. So uh, look out for that on the Stepien. And as usual, continue to listen to this podcast. Go to the Athletic, please. Keep me employed there. That'd be great. Uh, go to where else? Where else? Go to the Stepien. Read read Cole stuff. Um, I've written about free agency. I wrote about the Clippers, Jazz, Bulls, Hornets, and Knicks. Um, I might do some other free agency stuff. I kind of want to write about the Lakers for some reason. Um, Trying to think if there's anything else. Is there anything else? Um, Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, Oh, I wrote about the Wizards with Fred Katz and just about Rui and a lot of their young guys as well. So... Go rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, We'll be back later this week probably with some stuff. So until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.